We're in John chapter 6. We made it all the way to John chapter 6. <laughs> really? <laughs> where, where were we physically in John chapter 5? I thought we finished. No, no where were we? we were where was Jesus oh. physically <laughs> in John chapter 5? <laughs> we were in this class. Maybe I had a nap I didn't get away from. <laughs> That's right. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate. He's in Jerusalem. He heals the the man who couldn't get into the water. And then he has this encounter and he talks about his relationship to God and all that that entails. But he's in Jerusalem, right? Chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Hmm. <laughs> sure he did. See, mine says sometime after this. Sometime mean, after this. Some, sure. some time has passed. I, I Metatauta, after this. That's why we put some in there in our book. Here it says some. So the NIV says sometime after this. Yes, it did. I'm sorry. Metatiata. They did it wrong. Which means literally, literally it means immediately after this. Jesus has either a transporter or he has learned from the students at Hogwarts how to apparate because he is suddenly in Galilee. Now this is why there is theory quite a bit of theory as to the possibility that there is a reorganization of the chapters in, in the history of the book. Well, this says that he went there. He said after this, Jesus went to the other side crossed. of the Sea of Galilee. Right. Crossed the sea of Galilee. After this, Jesus went or crossed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, it doesn't say how long it took him to get It doesn't there. say he was immediately no. there. It doesn't say that he went to Galilee and to the Sea of Galilee. It says he crossed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a pretty good distance from Jerusalem yeah. to just to the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, well, there's a difference between crossing the sea and, and went. Yeah, went to the other side. Could, he could do it by airplane or by land. He's Jesus. He can walk on the water. Yeah, well, he walk could have started Jerusalem and gone to the other side. Well, too. yeah, but you don't normally but, talk about it that way. Yeah. It is a little weird. Yeah, I, I see the point. It is a little yeah, weird. The, the, the physical location is... Problematic, and it gets more so as we read on. But I'm going to hold the other problematic factor until we get there. All right. After this, chapter one of chapter six, verse one. After this, Jesus went, crossed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, or uh, Galilee of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. They're like a magic show. That sounds like though he just done this cured the guy in Jerusalem, and they followed him from Jerusalem. Uh, <laughs> or that probably be, not. They would be in need of healing if they had done all that. Well, they they crossed. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It could be that this follows immediately after chapter 4. They teleported with him. If you go back to chapter 4 at the end, he's in Galilee. 
Unless you see, if you go back up into like verse uh, 49, unless you, or 48, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, uh, come down before my little boy dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, uh, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this is the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. But, but still, and, this and, talks only of two signs. All right. And he's talking up here of, of like uh-huh. many more. Oh, there's no question about, about that. Yeah. In fact, maybe a better argument could be made that this actually is later rather than earlier. And we'll see why later. Uh, after this, Jesus went back to chapter 6. Went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover were there. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. We just had the Passover. Back-to-back Passovers. We just had the Passover. We just had Jesus go down to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and then on his way back, meets the woman at the well, making the mountain route back up to Judea. It's a year later. Up to Galilee. And then suddenly it's a year later. Exactly. It took a slow boat. <laughs> oh, man. It took them a long time. To this is weird. Temporally speaking, yeah. we've just had a Passover. We've just had a Pentecost. We've had a couple of trips to Jerusalem. And now we're back up in Galilee again. And it's a year later. I wonder how that new chronological Bible handles this. Well, I'd be curious to see. <laughs> that would be interesting. Well, so you're hanging if If you assume that the whatever it is, the proposition after this is what's wrong, then this would make a lot more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, possibly. A year had passed. A year had passed. Maybe this occurs later in the sequence and this has been moved earlier in our Bibles and moved earlier in the Gospel of John. We don't know. There are lots of partition theories which say that John's Gospel is all scrambled up in terms of the order and sequence. Or, more importantly, the temporality was of no interest to the author of John. Instead, it's a thematic arrangement without even attempting. Now, remember, the synoptics also have a thematic arrangement, but, but here, we, in the synoptics, we have the attempt to make it look like a chronology. In John, we have the attempt, but it's not a very strong attempt. And you can't beat that one because it's almost like immediately there's no indicator that, you know, several months later, Jesus was. <laughs> in, in the copies of John that we have, the early copies, they're all in the same order. Yes. So there's, there's no difference in, in how they're structured. There's no question that, textually speaking, at least up to this point, 
There, uh, the all of the copies that we have, especially the earliest generations, have this order. Okay. How about this this issue that John seems to take place over a period of about three years? Are they counting Passovers? Yes, that's how they're doing it. They count the Passovers. If that's the case, then the, then a big chunk of that first year is not recorded in John's yeah. Gospel. A big chunk of that year. Maybe it was a slow year and he didn't do much. He had to earn money by being a carpenter. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, really? Maybe there were no big signs or they would have been reported, wouldn't they? It's a good question. Well, but it says he, he, he talked about all the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. It's just that so, we really don't. Uh, we've only read of two up till now. Right? Well, yeah. If and it's the, in order, that's... And yeah. the event in Jerusalem. The official sun and uh -huh. the left. More or less, yeah. yeah. Well, again, that sort of implies that there was a longer passage of time when he was doing a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. That seems to be the implication. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it almost has to be, at least if you assume a chronological sequence here. If you assume a thematic sequence, it could be almost any time yeah. just prior to yeah. a Passover except the first. As the first he didn't have enough disciples, didn't have enough following, wouldn't have had the circumstances that you have here, everybody being wondered by the signs and wonders he's performing. Um, let's keep going. Now the Passover, now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat. Now, keep in mind that he asked Philip this question. We'll keep going. This is how. I'm sorry? How are we to buy bread? How are we to buy bread? Any other translations say that? Wow, that's pretty significantly different. No, mine says where. Yeah, where. Let me see what preposition it uses. That's pretty huge. Verse 5. Uh, where? Where? I don't see how they get five. How they get how? 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 How do they get how? Pothane means quite literally from whence. Or from whence will we buy? Literally translated ought to be, from whence should we buy bread for these people to eat? Oh, well, from whence, I see where you can get it then, depending on what their culture is. From whence? From yeah, where? from whence. From, from whence. Where, where is the money to buy this? From whence? From, from where are we buy? going to get it? Literally meaning, where are we going to go get it? Yeah, Not from what source will we right, get the exactly. finances, but from where will we get it itself? What store will we buy it from? Will we get it from the Wonder Bread store over here or from the Mrs. Baird's over there? What store would you buy it from if you didn't have any money? Uh, another good question, uh, but, but it's, it's a locative point. It's, it's from where. Okay. Uh, are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Again, that idea that Jesus is omniscient. We've already seen it articulated. Here it is again. Philip answered him. Now, my translation says, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. The Greek rendering is 200 denarii. 
And just so that you remember, a denarius, a single denarius, is what a daily worker would make. A worker, one day wage for a worker. So 200 days. Well, see, Philip's response sounds more like he has oh, power. Sure. Close. Yeah, you know, yeah, Phil's just yeah, talking yeah. about money, not from what bag would come out of Six month day. wages would not buy enough bread for What's them to get a little. Same thing. Mine says eight months. Yeah. Eight is another alternative translation. Depends upon, I suppose, how you factor it. Yeah. Weekends, Sabbath, Sabbath well, off. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Two hundred days. Two hundred days is how long. How many months? How many weeks is 200 days? Divide by seven. Divide by six. Divide, oh, yeah, because the Sabbath you're off, right? Yeah. So it's 30. Okay. About 33-ish, uh -huh. somewhere in that range. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a long period of time. Wow. Hmm. 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 200 denarii is the literal in the Greek. And that's what this one says. 200 denarii. Right. Yeah. After it just said pound instead of where. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's where it's getting it from. <laughs> Whoopee. In terms of right. how much it's going to cost. So translated it wrong. Well, where no, they got that? No, that, that was literal, 200 denarii. Yeah, that one was. Yeah. But I missed the other one. I know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> one out of two, great. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, I'm sure Andrew gets sick and tired of being identified by Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Yeah. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, um, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people?" And Jesus said, "Make the people sit down." Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the bar five barley loaves left by those who had, they, who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. It's kind of an unusual statement, isn't it? Given you know, what the other crowds had yeah. acknowledged. Yeah. This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Let's read the next verse. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and make him by force, come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Well, that sounds real familiar, doesn't it? Where did that come from? Moses. Verse 15. Like. <laughs> yeah, verse 15. Moses. Now, this is the only, other than the resurrection, this is the only miracle 
that is found in all four Gospels. Substantially the same event with only minor yet interesting variations. We're going to look at all four of them tonight. So we looked at the one in John. So let's go to Mark, since Mark was written first. Mark chapter, put something in a marker or whatever you want into John at this point. Go to Mark chapter 6. That's interesting. Chapter 6 of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verse 32. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? This is fascinating. And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Well, that's, it's, it's obviously the same story, right? Now, before we analyze, let's look at Matthew. Go to Matthew. I want to consider the synoptics together here relative to John. So go to... <coughs> Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Yeah, Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, 
and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. He ordered, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave, it, gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. It grew. Hmm. So it's not just the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, but also of the people. Um, all right, continuing on now. Let's go to Luke 9, 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away, so that they may go to the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in, the gr in groups of about fifty each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. So, having heard it now from the synoptics and having read it from John's Gospel directly, what are the differences between the synoptics on the one hand and John on the other? I figured it out. One of the things was significant in the synoptics, he looked up and gave thanks. In, the, in John, he just gave thanks. In John, it says, verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Whereas, I'll use Mark as the principal example here. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. It's just like Luke and that one. Uh -huh. Did he and all of them? Correct. 
give it to the disciples to pass, didn't he? The synoptics he gives to the disciples, and the disciples give to the people. And John, he gave it to he the gives he sets um, um, given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. So in John, he does it directly. In in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he does it through the disciples. In all, he has them sit down on the grass. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Sometimes Mark identified it as green. Others, yeah. it's just grass. Did he do that in this last one you just read? What, in Luke? I'm not finding grass in here. Oh, well, maybe it was left out of Luke. I don't know. All I know is that in Mark and Matthew, that's grass. And John, you got grass. Yeah, that's what, and I was looking for the grass here, and he made him sit down, but he didn't make him sit down on grass. Doesn't make him sit down on grass? Okay. Not that I can find. All right. California, baby. Um, do you see a significance in the dozen baskets left over? Well, generally, that's a basket per disciple, a basket for each of the right. tribes of Israel. Uh, there's a the theological meaning there, I'm sure, that could be a proclaimed all, you know, the baskets equal the number of people. I mean, it, it just emphasizes the miraculous nature of the abundance, I think. There's a biggie that no one's touched on yet. You've all touched on small well, matters. Well, I, I, go ahead. Oh, I think it's the acknowledgement of the crowd. That no place in the other three, they don't say anything in response. They just eat the food. The response of the crowd is, is principle here. You're correct. Very good. But that's not the only one. There's one more. Yes? Well, uh, one thing, in John, they only pick up the loaves. In the others, it seems like they pick up and one is the fishes and the loaves, and the other is the pieces. Which yes, the there's question as to what, uh, what was there fish in the left? Who wants leftover fish? I understand just picking up the morning loaves was keep, but in Luke he, they wanted to send them away. One of them they wanted to send them away. Well, three of them to the cities. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, go away to the cities to have them go down to the cities and buy. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I think that's which okay. one did they want him to become? A, if he didn't get the heck out of there, they were going to grab him and make him king. Oh, that's John. Is that the only one? The response of the people. Mm-hmm. So that's still the response of the people. So we're still missing something. But then he flay themselves into the hills. Yeah. If it were a snake, it'd bite you. Oh, in John, it's a boy who has yeah. the two barley loaves and the fish. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I thought that was little. And, Matt, and Mark, Matthew, and Luke. It's the first thing I saw. It's, the, the disciples. The, it, it's the source is nebulous, no, but it appears to be the disciples. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah. And of course, the other small minor detail is is that it's barley loaves in John, where it's just loaves in right. Mark, Matthew, and Luke. The small boy. Huh. Fascinating. So these the similarities and differences between the feeding of the 5,000, of course it's also, is it 5,000 or 5,000 plus women and children? Is it 5,000 men or 5,000 people? No, I thought that was a given. I thought that they only counted men. Yeah. In general, yes, but it's still fascinating. Well, it's that nice that minimum of knowledge that there were other people. For sure. When you read, John, you just read 5,000, and mine says 5,000 men. My translation simply says 5,000 people. Make the people sit down. What's the significance of the grass? Since they left it out of Luke, it must be no significance. But they Maybe none. In fact, many of these differences may have no significance. 
except the question of the boy. Why is that's pretty important? Why is there a boy in John but not in the synoptics? And a lot of people have been asking that question for years and years and years. And he wouldn't even be counted really? the five thousand. Oh, that's right. Anybody he would care? not even count. Why would anybody care? Why would anybody care? Why would you? There doesn't. The boy doesn't seem to be doing anything in John other than getting robbed for his food. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> they shake him down for his barley loaves and fish, but other than that, he doesn't seem to have a role, which is a fascinating thing. It's not. He's not given any lines to speak. He doesn't do anything. He simply gives up his loaves and fish, has them taken away from him to feed everybody. He doesn't seem to have a real function in the story. Did they give him the 12 baskets back when they were finished? That's a good question. It doesn't say that they did. No, no disposition for the baskets. Where the heck did the Why baskets come from? Why would they have from? all these baskets if they didn't have yeah. food? Where did the baskets come from? That's another interesting question. It's a basket case. It, it's, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's awful. That's a lot of leftovers, more than the original. Maybe they pulled the baskets off the boat. Well, possibly. Well, they brought them with them from coming that distance. Yeah. There's 500 clusters of 50 people. <laughs> these 12 baskets, or however many baskets there were, how long would it take to pass the fish? <laughs> <laughs> you better have more than 12 disciples if you're going to spread that sucker out. It's a fascinating question. A week later. The boy, yeah, right. The boy is the is one of the most principal. And you know, what does it matter? Well, it matters in that consider that John comes so much later than the Synoptics. It looks like an added a piece of this, and it's something that this is a story that you find in the Synoptics. Why is the boy added to the story? Or is it more likely? Is it just possible more likely that it's the other way around? The boy was in the original story, in part of the strata of John's gospel that is the earliest of the of the anecdotes, and that as it got told and retold in the Markan community and eventually written down, and therefore is the source of Matthew and Luke for the same story, the boy drops out because he is unimportant. Unless the writer is the boy or knows the boy. Well, He's not going to leave him out, is he? It's possible that the writer knows the boy. Maybe the boy is his son. Uh -huh. um, it, it, there's a theory that the, that the writer is the boy, unless the writer is John, <laughs> in which case he's not. <laughs> Possibly the boy was there and is now here helping John write mm -hmm. the story. Lots of theories have been articulated all over the place. But when you look at how how various uh, informed criticism, when you look at how stories evolve and change both between oral and written forms, when you have something just insignificant like this boy, usually you don't add those things in. Usually they fall out over time or get generalized into something else. Um, here it, it's, it's unusual that you would have him there and then have him fall out in the synoptics. Well, and, and uh, don't they say that Mark, uh, Matthew and Luke at least had copies of Mark? Oh, Matthew and Luke are using Mark as the basic John? outline. John does not have Mark. Okay. 
He probably doesn't, he may know of the synoptic gospels, certainly appears to know something about Luke, but he's not copying Luke, obviously, yeah. here. Well, also, yeah. in John, he doesn't heal any of the crowd. In two of the synoptics, he heals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, it's a factor of what he's doing. Greg, do you have a book of questions to ask God when you get to heaven? I roll a toilet paper with the questions that you're going and going and going and going. Only one roll? It's a really good roll. Okay, here's, here's, here's the basic thought. That what we have in, in John's Gospel is a story that, that comes to us from the very earliest remembrances. It's one of those anecdotes in John's Gospel that comes from the very early period, maybe written down very early. And is then utilized and adjusted and interpreted and given a position in the storyline and all later on by later authors in the Johannine community. But that it comes from a very early period. And that what we have in Mark comes, you know, thanks to what Peter had preached about. Well, in his version of the story, the boy had fallen out because he's unimportant. For whatever reason, in John, he's been retained. Which is why many people say that having the boy in the story, giving, giving the source for the loaves and the fish, actually makes sense in and of itself, but it's not something that you can add into the story where the disciples already have the loaves and the fish. It makes more sense to say the boy has fallen out in the renditions by the time it gets to Mark, and hence Matthew and Luke also lack it. They also lack it. Now, so that means that the boy actually belongs in the earliest layer or tradition or version of the story. When you do form criticism on a passage like this compared to three other versions, one of the things you look for is elements that have been added, elements that have fallen out. Which argument can you make best one direction or the other? And here, the argument is better made that the boy has fallen out in Matthew and Luke, whereas he therefore is original to the story, which means John preserves a more original version of the story, which is shocking. Also, another method of doing that is to take a look at the detail. You have an increase in detail in the blessing of the loaves and the fish. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew and Luke follow Mark. He takes the bread, blesses it, and breaks it, and gives it to the disciples who give it to the people. A greater degree of complexity in the process. Where in John, it's, it's fairly simple. In verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So the blessing wasn't as important. I don't want to go there because that's probably not true. It's the, the action is just as important. It's that the specificity in the action isn't. The, the breaking yeah. detail. Because it's significant that he looked. Yeah, or he didn't look to heaven. Blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blessing. In the process of blessing, that's yeah. all elements in the specificity of the blessing. But you can incorporate it in the one act. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he yeah. distributed them. But that sort of violates the accretion of detail rule, which is because that's adding detail. It's adding, it's adding detail that grows in significance that, it, that happens when you tell and retell stories. It, it's, it's the inverse of the boy, yes. Well, the boy is going to fall out is an extraneous detail that doesn't add to the story. Whereas the breaking and the giving and then the giving adds to the story and adds complexity to the story 
that helps it to flow in telling it. Does that make sense? You would question why. I mean, it seems to be if the if if the if the given what's going to come next for John to say to say that John has left out the breaking and the handing to the disciples to hand to the people. It's kind of hard to explain why that would fall out. Oh, yes, the Lord. Instead, it, it makes gotcha. sense that that gets added to it to add more detail to that actual process. Whereas earlier on in the tradition, you're going to have less detail in that but process. They, they add detail to make a point. To make a point, to draw focus to the breaking of the bread. Well, I would also say the role of the disciples. Yeah, and the role of the disciples in the process is also very give them any kind of role. No, they're just there. Which also reflects the earlier character of the tradition. Yeah, and Pete, what you were saying a while ago, why was the boy important? Maybe that's why he dropped out of the story. He didn't really have any, you know, theological significance. Like, but later on they realized, well, Jesus broke bread, this sort of thing. That would have been more important theologically than the, the fact of boy. In fact, that's also true with the connection where the, the loaves and the fish come from. In, in the synoptics, they come from the disciples. Whereas in John, it comes from a boy, an extraneous boy who doesn't have any other role to play in the story. So that's, it's the inverse of, of, of a complexity issue. But he's dropping out because he's extraneous over time. So in John, if John is the earlier version of the story, and most scholars tend to say that John contains, even those who prefer the synoptics will say, John gives an earlier version of the story than what we have in the synoptics, which is fascinating, considering that John was written in the 90s, and the synoptics were written between 68 and 80. Well, I think this, this point that I was raising, too, about the, he's, he's a prophet, and, oh. and this whole business about forcing him to become a king, which I'm not sure appears that it's also nope. very old. It's a, it, no, it's, it's extremely primitive. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, there, there ain't no son of God in that. He's no. Uh -huh. Here we have a prophet and a king. Well, King David, we've got that. But prophet seems to be a lower status than what we've already seen articulated about Jesus in the preceding five chapters. Definitely. Definitely. Or what we're getting ready to see here in John's gospel itself. I mean, in, in chapter six itself. What's the significance? I'm still thinking if he had the boy, it might have had some significance, number one. Well, like coming from an innocent child or something like that. But putting all that aside, what's the significance of sitting down? You sit down to eat. Yeah. You know, they do that in all of them, by the way. Sit, I know. Sit down and sit down on grass and all but Luke because Luke figures you know. He has him sitting on, on, on benches. <laughs> That's Luke. He's clean. <laughs> Folding chairs. Folding <laughs> chairs. <laughs> Could the boy be symbolic? Uh, come to the Lord with the heart of a child? Could be. It could be just a fact that in the actual historical event, there was a boy there with five loaves and two fish, and Jesus said, mug him and get his food. He didn't move fast. He didn't move fast. It comes from the leaf to these. I'm sorry? If you're looking for symbols, it could be from the leaf to these. Sure. From the least of these, with our meager supply, Jesus takes and multiplies. Ba-dum-bum. Now, this leads us to the question of what is the meaning of the story. What is the meaning of this story? This uh, anecdote. I think it's eternal. I think it means he can feed you forever. Keep going and going. From 
What, what do we learn from this story? You keep on saying, okay, it'll be an eternal supply. God will take care of That's what he did. That's what he did. He fed them. He fed them. He fed them, and he gave water to the woman at the well. Duh. Kind of goes together. Okay. <laughs> but if you go back, if you... More I'm than, sorry. I'm sorry, but they, he fed them more than... That's he right, filled them this. up. Just as, just as she asked for, you know, give me this water so I'll never be thirsty. So also here he gives them a supply of food that is beyond their need. So much so that they fill 12 baskets full of the scraps left over. What did they do with them scraps? <laughs> they don't say. I don't know. <laughs> one, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's right. Yeah, Thank exactly. Which, which is a theological statement with regards to the, the, their amazing quantity of the overflow. More leftovers than they started with. You know, that, that, that's, that is a point. Now, what else? Well, you take that to, by accepting Jesus... You come out the other end with more than you came into it with. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. That's good. Excellent. What else? Well, it says there's very few problems that, that can come up that he can't handle for us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Consider the lilies of the field. <laughs> yeah, it does go back to that kind of idea. What else? I'm surprised nobody's trying to demythologize it, get rid of the miracle and see what can be brought out of it without the miracle. No, when you share, everybody share. Thank you. You share it, I share, we all share. The boy brings his meager supply. He has more than enough for himself, way more than enough for himself. So he can share with other people, and then other people can share with other people, and then everybody will have enough, so much so that you'll have even more leftovers than you realize you would have. Well, if the little boy had that much food, what would the adults have done? Or should have, exactly. <laughs> but you see, it, it, if you if you the danger in demythologizing the story is you remove Jesus from the equation, other than as a um, inspiration to people. Well, big whoop, and, and and what does that then lead to? This business about it being a great He's he's the one that started it. He's, he's the one yes. that started the first domino. Well, he, he takes the boy's food and it. shares it with yeah. others, and people say, aha, we can do that. But what is the big shake about wanting to make him king? It doesn't flow then down yeah. to, the, to, the, to the level of the response of the people. They must have had faith, though, for that food to keep multiplying. Well, of course. There's no question about that. If, if you maintain the, the, the miracle in the story. <laughs> I mean, if I'd have been at the back of that crowd, I'd have been going, uh... They're going to run out before they get to me. I'm going to go home hungry tonight. Well, you know what? You see a guy do that, and you think, well, he's, he's got, he fed all these people and still had more, so, yeah, let's nominate him for king. <laughs> <laughs> I like he that. can take care of us. Let's do that. He's got something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Get rid of Obama and put him in there. That's what they did last night. Uh, night before last. Going back to mythology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> get away from politics. Let's get away from the politics. Go. Go. You were talking about being an inspiration. Yeah. And I, I admit there was a time where I mythologized the entire Bible. You mean demythologized? 
Um, no, I turned it into a story. Really? Okay. I said, okay, this is just an inspirational character, and everybody coughed up food mm -hmm. and then fed everyone. And That's I went through the different things. miracles and said, okay, everybody was really drunk at Canaan, and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they thought they were drinking the best wine. Yeah, you drink and water. So, anyway. Um, going back to this one, and, and it just didn't, it didn't strike me until just now what I was doing. I was turning Jesus into Siddhartha. I was turning him into Confucius. I was mythologizing him. He was an inspiration for my living here on earth as a, as a being of nature. Mm. And I choose how I view the world and how I'm going to interact with the world, it with the world, and I could oh use the way the ways of Jesus as he has taught and his mythology, or I could go and check out Confucius and follow his path of enlightenment. Mm. Hmm. So that's mm. the danger of mythology is is not looking at this as a true miracle, but as okay. an inspir inspiration. In, in the study person. of the New Testament, the general, the general approach is either you accept the, the story as is to see how it's interpreted. It's really neither nor, but that's how many people approach it. You approach the story as is and see what the totality of the story, including the miracle, teaches you. And then there's an approach which says, let's get rid of the miracle. Let's demythologize the story. Get rid of the miracle and make it uh, as historical as you possibly can to understand what actually happened. Because, you know, miracles can't occur, therefore they didn't occur. And therefore, let's just figure out what it says without the miracle. And that's when you get the result of, well, they saw Jesus take the bread and, from the boy and share it there. And they said, well, we've got bread here. Here. And then and the other people over there said, ooh, this, this 50 group over here. Oh, we've got about 14 loaves of, and, and two fish here. And, and we've got about 36 loaves over here. And then before you know it, you have 12 baskets full of, of leftovers. Um, no miracle needed. And what it teaches you is be generous with what you have. Follow Jesus' example of being generous with the boys' stuff and be generous with what you which is the which is where the, the whole idea breaks down. And be generous with what you have. Whereas retaining the mythology puts the focus where? It puts the focus back on Jesus in taking the bread, giving thanks for it, blessing it, and then giving it to the people. And it's that process, and somehow that process results in its multiplying. You still include the boy, you still include sharing of your meager supply, but what it does is it says that Jesus takes your meager supply and makes it overabundant for all. Well, help us with the word mythology because it sounds like you're, you're talking the miracle story is your kind of is a shortcut definition of mythology. In in, in the sense, uh, a mythology is not something that isn't true. In fact, it's usually more true than not. A mythology is a religious story told to make a point. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> it's a religious right, story I'm, I'm told I'm, to make I'm a point. This. Where does John explain this to us? <laughs> he does he any place? He, he does in the. He does in the. He, kind of does and kind of doesn't. He actually does explain this. He does expound upon this in the coming dialogue over Jesus being the bread 
We've had Jesus as being the, 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 the source of the springs of living water. We're going to have him become the living bread now, the bread of heaven, in John chapter 6. Because that's what he usually does. Is he takes maybe some of these old stories or whatever, and he kind of... That's right. That's exactly what John them. John takes these old anecdotal stories about Jesus doing things, being aware, teaching, healing, whatever, and then uses it as the basis, the launching pad, the jumping off point from which he then has this great big dialogue in which yeah. Jesus does a lot of teaching. And that's what we're going to have, but, yeah. but, but the difference is, is that just as in the synoptics, if you go and take a look in Mark, immediately following the event, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida. That's interesting. While he dismissed the crowd. After staying... After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And then we have the disciples in the boat with the storm and Jesus walking on the water. Just as in the synoptics with that account in Mark and in Matthew, but not in Luke. Interesting because it seems that John has some acquaintance with Luke, but here Luke doesn't do this, but Mark and Matthew does this. The, the disciples in the boat and Jesus walking on the water happens immediately following the feeding of 5,000. So also it happens in John with some detailed differences. Do the synoptics tell us the location where this happened? Yes. But Is it the, all on the same? It's Bethsaida area. Okay. Bethsaida is on the northeastern sh shore of the Sea of Galilee, the close to the headwaters. So that would be essentially where John is. Yeah, John places it in roughly the same area, and yet seems to have him crossing back and forth across the, the Sea of Galilee to the same side of the Sea of Galilee. That's the weird thing. Actually, it's going along the shoreline yeah. is the travel. Um, but let's, let's pick it up in verse 16 of John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started, started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, you're on the same side of the sea as Capernaum. You're just north and Maybe east of there. The huh? Maybe they're going up or down the shoreline. Possibly. When evening came, his disciples went across, uh, down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And by the way, that happens a lot. The Sea of Galilee is down in a bowl uh, below sea level. When winds would blow in across from the Mediterranean, they would literally blow across the desert and through the, the Jezreel Valley Pass and straight down into the Sea of Galilee and then swirl. They'll do it to this day. And it generates nasty wave conditions on the Sea of Galilee. Um, the, sea the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, um, three or four miles, and that's in Greek, about 25 or 30 stadia is the actual distance. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, or literally, I am. <laughs> Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. 
and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. Zoom. It doesn't actually say he gets into it. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. They wanted to. And immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This says they were willing to take him in. They were willing to, is what the NIV says. Yeah, well, if this you think says about it, they didn't know who he was. They were glad to. They wanted to. Yeah. They, they were, were happy willing to. to receive. Or willing. Yeah. Doesn't actually say he they gets in. They were willing him. to receive him no. into the boat. Weren't they afraid of him at first? Isn't that kind of what we're supposed to get? Yeah. Well, it says they were terrified. Yeah. Jesus, well, they, uh, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. So willing would make a lot more sense than wanted. From awesome. going, to go from terrified to want you in the boat? Mm. Maybe. Willing. We're okay now. We, see, we recognize you here. Well, he, he, they hear him say, Yahweh, <laughs> do not be afraid. Weren't they afraid of Yahweh? Well, <laughs> then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land to which they were going. Let's look at that in Mark real quick. Then evening came, verse 47. When evening came, the this is uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 47. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he was alone on the land. Interesting. John tells it kind of from the disciples' perspective. Mark's going to give it to us from Jesus' perspective. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. Ha <laughs> yeah. ha! Sure he did. <laughs> but, 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 I'm sorry. That just is that the is middle image of that. I just get it. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Yeah. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Again, Yahweh, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So he got into the boat, and it didn't automatically get to the Just, other side. It says that the... The storm. The storm quit. Yeah. The wind stopped. So they could row easier. Yeah. And that freaked them out. Mm. Look at it in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Matthew 14. We thought we got rid of all this cross comparison when we finished the synoptics. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Every once in a while we'll have this here. 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came down and 
told, came down, came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Here we go. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Wow. Verses 28 through 33. Uh, through 30, yeah, through 33, is found only in Matthew. Not found in Peter. If Peter is Mark, is not found in Mark, if Peter is Mark's source, you kind of think that'd be included there. Unless, unless Peter didn't like telling the story because he lost his faith and started to we'd sink. Be, we'd be saying doubting Peter instead of doubting, doubting Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. In a sense. Uh, actually, yeah, it kind of makes sense for it not to be in Mark. <laughs> because <laughs> if it were, it, it, yeah, it's, a, it's an element in the story that is not particularly flattering. I lost faith and I started to sink. Yeah, but you got to walk on the water. Well, no, but you lost faith. You started to sink. Not what you want to build your church on. Let's let's leave that out. Let's leave that out. <laughs> Matthew. Well, Peter doesn't come up well in any of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it becomes the rock upon whom Jesus builds the church and the gates of hell. One more story with a bug. That would have done it. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, but apart from all of that, it's it's interesting how the synoptics take that story. It's essentially the same story again. And it immediately follows the loaves of the fish. Somehow that story is connected to the loaves of the fish. Somehow it's connected to the story of the loaves of the fish. For it to also be in John and not have a direct literary dependence. It can't be because John seems to know the synoptic tradition through Luke. We've already talked about that. We've already looked at that. He seems to know the synoptic tradition, if at all, through Luke, and yet Luke doesn't do this. That's fascinating. That means that the, the source, and that's another indicator that the sourcing for John's story is earlier than the synoptic's sourcing. And you let Matthew have the Peter walking on the water. Well, that's not here. That's not in John. Yeah, that'd be John walking on the water, but it's not. Yeah. It's not. And it, the disciples walk on the water. So let's, so let's keep going. The next day, the crowds that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw... It's kind of like they wake up. Ugh. They, the crowds who stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had, that there had 
been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not gone into the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they remembered, they, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. You know, I'm tired and waking up and I'm hungry and I don't want leftover fish and bread. I want a, 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 a BK fish and egg McMuffin. I, let's, let's go find Jesus and get something to eat. Essentially, let's get breakfast. I want a sausage biscuit with egg, please, and coffee and hash browns. Uh, that's essentially kind of what you got here. They want the miracle caterer. <laughs> that's essentially what he tells them, too. Yeah. It's on their case. Yeah. So they're coming on to Capernaum now looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And now we're going to get the beginning of the interpretation. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, Lord, give us this bread always. Hence is set up now through the feeding of the 5,000 with this story of, the, of Jesus walking on the water almost extraneous to the entire thing. It's in the way. If, if John could have taken it out, he would have because it interrupts the, the Jesus interpretation and dialogue which follows. But it's so strongly connected, he's left it there just in the way a little bit. Um, doesn't seem to matter to him. He continues the story almost as if it's not there. In fact, as if it's not there. You then have the beginning of this dialogue and they're asking, Sir, give us this bread always. He's given them earthly bread. He took the loaves and the fish. He blessed them. He gave them to them. And there was more than enough for everybody to eat. Now they're asking for eternal bread to never be hungry. This takes place just before the Passover. What other major meal took place around Passover? The Last Supper, Holy Communion. 
the, 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 the Passover Seder with his disciples at the end of the story. In John's Gospel, they have the meal, but there, there are no words of institution. All right? You have the foot washing in John's Gospel. No communion meal. No, this is my body, this is my blood. Instead, you get that in John chapter 6, which we're going to look at next week, right here. You get essentially the Eucharist. You get communion. You get the Lord's Supper here, except in an interpretation of it more than anything else. Just, just to back up, you, you did say that Luke didn't feel compelled to have the walking on the water. Luke doesn't contain it. So he didn't feel like they He were. was able to let it go. Let it drop out. For whatever reason, Luke felt free to do that. John, who seems to know Luke, although he doesn't quote Luke, John contains it. Keeps it there. Luke lets it drop out. Luke, but remember, Luke does that kind of thing all the time. He's always monkeying around with what he received from Mark. He's always letting that kind of stuff get adjusted around, changing things. Either, either correcting bad grammar, making things better read, fixing his story so it flows better, changing the sequence so it fits more his own theology. He's constantly doing that. Luke did that all the time. And also um, to fit his audience. Fit his audience. He was constantly doing that kind of stuff. Um, here, so it doesn't make it doesn't surprise us that that Luke does that. Matthew follows Mark more closely. That also tends to be a characteristic when you, when you get those kinds of things differences. That Matthew will follow that sequence from Mark a little more closely. And yet John, who seems to know or be familiar with Luke to some degree, doesn't seem to bother following Luke's breaking the story off. Instead, he prefers to keep it. It's fascinating. And yet he doesn't seem to do anything. In fact, he does nothing with it. He does nothing with it. Matthew gives us a neat story about Peter. Mark doesn't include that at all, of course. John, it's just kind of there. And now we got the, the people waking up and going, I'm hungry, where's, where's Jesus? <laughs> well, but it really consistent with if this was a very early layer that the subsequent editors didn't feel like they could get away with deleting it at the point. That's my read too. And that tends to be the read of most scholars that this is an extreme from an extremely early layer, possibly the earliest of the entire gospel and and reflects the story as it was told before it got written down in Mark. And um, and for whatever reason, even though other places in John, the later editors and writers were willing to adjust things some they weren't willing to address this. But there's no development on the walking on the water other than Jesus walking on the water in this miraculous event. I mean, it's a miracle in and of itself. But... Yeah, they didn't do a real good transition if they were going to layer this thing. You think that the writers would have... All they needed was maybe two more sentences. Yeah, there should have been an interpretation of this Jesus walking on the water, but it's not there. Exactly. Instead, what's more sense. important are those people waking up hungry and wondering where Jesus is, which is absolutely hilarious, but yet fits. And it sets up then Jesus. And it's, and how, it's how John uses this. 
He takes the story of the feeding of the 5,000 to set up Jesus and this dialogue that follows. We've seen it before. We have it again. This dialogue is now set up. In some way now, Jesus is going to liken himself, just as he likened himself to the living water that came, you know, and just as now he's going to liken himself to the bread and to its eternal supply and never-ending supply. So he's going to liken himself to that bread that he just blessed. And this takes the place, in many respects, takes the place of communion in John's Gospel. Its theology sure has, as we will see next week. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.